0: Well, hello, Line Podcast listeners. A shorter episode than usual this week because, honestly, we covered a lot of the ground already when we did our Welcome Back Dispatch on Monday. In the latest episode of the Line's Experimental Podcast, Uh, myself and Jen Gerson, we talk a little bit about the tension between Alberta and Ottawa, why we're never going to be able to fix the big problems if we don't start figuring out how to fix the little ones. And just some of the other big federal stories that came up this week, including, of course, the interesting revelations in Bill Morneau's, uh new book, which we meant to talk about on The Last Dispatch, but we just ran out of room. So that and more in this, the latest episode of the Lions Experimental Podcast. A podcast so hastily convened uh, that we didn't even talk about what we wanted to talk about. So... Oops. Oops. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, we already did one of these on Monday, so it's only yeah. five days ago that we had our last chat when it wasn't that exciting a week. Can I can I tee up something you know, and just go off on it a bit? Mm-hmm. So first of all, in the written dispatch, I'm going to do what I meant to do in the last written dispatch. We came back on Monday with a welcome back dispatch, and I had said to you that I was going to do the Bill Morneau book, but the dispatch was just long. There was yeah. a lot of stuff in it. I yeah. didn't think it needed a whole other beat. So I, I have it half written already. And I'm just going to put that into um, the, the next dispatch. Cause it's still fresh enough. Like the point I'm making is evergreen, but there was another federal story that popped up this week that I think is really, really interesting. And it, it was just a quirk of timing. So the city of Toronto this week came out with its annual uh, c- city budget and as you noted on your last visit to Toronto in the in the summer, when you actually stayed here for a bit visiting with family, the city's a dump. Like it's the, the roads I don't are...
1: think I said I don't think I said dump. I just said uh, uh gradually and incrementally deteriorating. Noticeably, noticeably from like 10 years ago when I lived there previously.
0: The city's a dump. Okay. The roads are in terrible shape, the trash bins are not getting emptied, or yeah. like the bathrooms don't work, the fountains don't work.
1: Basic shit's falling
0: apart. Yeah. And I think I might have mentioned this to you. I had um, a relative who grew up not only in Toronto, but grew up in my neighborhood. So like Mm. an apples to apples comparison, Mm -hmm. she she married an American and lives in the States now. But in the summer, she was here for a visit. And she was like, Matt, what the fuck happened to the roads? Like, because like this is the neighborhood she rode her bike in that she learned to drive in. And it was kind of for me, it was a kick in the ass moment of, yeah, like what, what did happen to the roads? City of Toronto comes out with its budget this week partially due to covid but mostly due to underinvestment right now we have a nine and a half billion dollar shortfall for state of good repair initiatives Mm -hmm. like the amount of money i'm not talking about stuff that like between where we are today and what the budget should be we're already nine and a half billion bucks behind and with the new budget uh being out the forecast out is a decade and instead of making progress on that we're actually falling further behind by 20 by 2032, it's going to be an 18.8 billion dollar state of good repair uh shortfall. I want to just be clear for the viewers and the listeners here. What does state of good repair mean? It doesn't mean building a single new thing, it doesn't mean adding a bridge or building a new transit line. It means how much money would it cost to, to fix the stuff you already have? Mm-hmm. So when you have state of good repair problems, that's that means water mains will crack subways will collapse the roads will be so terrible your cousin visiting from portland will be like what the fuck happened like this is what state of good repair uh means i wrote a column for TVO where i just teed off on this because it pisses me off i hate this kind of stuff state of good repair is a is a special kind of neglect as far as i'm concerned because mm-hmm. it's not even failing to plan for the future it's failing to put your toys away like it's hmm. it's failing to load the dishwasher. Like stuff like this makes me mad. And well, then- and also like,
1: stuff like that, it 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 it, 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 it accretes, right to, to to just to dramatically shitify somebody's quality of life, right? Like it, yep. or or people within a city's quality of life.
0: It it uh, and it also I think it's also politically corrosive because yes. you get a guy coming along and goes who well, actually I have a good idea to solve this issue and it's a genuinely good idea, but no one believes him because the roads suck. Yeah. Like, like you have to keep the basic shit fixed in a society. So I wrote this column and people are going, "Ha, ah, yeah, you know, oh, look at these evil conservatives, you know, Doug Ford and and John Tory ruining the city. And look, if the shoe fits, wear it. Like, some of that criticism is valid, for sure. But there was also Jacques Gallant at the uh, Toronto Star who wrote this great piece saying... That if you are looking at some kind of litigation or maybe a family law issue or an estate issue in Ontario right now, you might not get a court date until 2025.
1: Oh, that's fine. Especially for family law. That's totally wait.
0: One of the reasons is because there are dozens of vacancies in the court system for judges that the federal government hasn't filled. This is not the United States where appointing judges becomes this weird partisan brinksmanship thing, right? Like this is Canada, government yeah,
1: fucking list and then you just and you appoint, you How them. many do we need?
0: 20. How many are on this list? 30. Drop the mm-hmm. bottom mm-hmm. 10. Yeah, you know like this mean? is
1: not complicated stuff.
0: There is obviously a vetting process of course because you yes. don't want because you know, what, you know we, we live in the Twitter age, right? Everybody's got bad tweets. We uh, are so bad at getting stuff done in this country right now these are not creating new judicial positions we're not being like well where should we put the new courthouse where will we hire the staff what jurisdiction will this court serve no, it you just is, need
1: to find competent qualified lawyers to elevate
0: there is an empty judge's seat and we can't put a judge into it
1: and those generally aren't that hard to fill with people who want to be judges. Am I wrong? Like, lawyers seem to be pretty happy to be judges.
0: Yeah, I've noticed. That is that is certainly my impression.
1: It's not my impression that, like, it's hard to find 20 lawyers who are like, yes, I would like to be a judge, please. I...
0: Not my impression either. And so basically, the city, like, our largest city can't fix its roads, and over the next 10 years has a deliberate plan that the roads will get worse because all the, all the, the budgetary money is going to other things, some of, some of which we can argue about, right? Like some of the money is going to transit expansion or uh, replacing the gardener, which is really controversial in Toronto. But like, we know where some of that money is going. But the other issue is simply that, and this is the Canada-wide issue that is really underwrites so much of what we talk about here at The Line. We don't want to pay the full cost of the services we feel we deserve. Like we want platinum services on a bronze membership plan, and we're well, angry everybody wants when we... a deal. Yeah, but we're 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 deluding ourselves into thinking that someone out there is going to buy our lunch for us.
1: Well, you know the Chinese are typically buying up all kinds of things. Got to talk about, to get the Saudis in here or the Qataris.
0: Yeah, get, the get some of their sovereign
1: deal. wealth wealth funds going kicking up.
0: Yeah, strings seem to be attached.
1: Always. Um
0: anyway, so that's where that's where my head is at. Okay, it's so that's, just top that, that, to bottom. That, that, we can't do the basics.
1: That's that's an interesting parallel to something that 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 crossed my feed today. And that was um the story about how Justin Trudeau met with uh the Japanese prime minister. Japanese prime minister was like, we really would like some more natural gas. Trudeau's like, Yes, we understand that. Mm-hmm yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. which which absolutely parallels the the conversation that Trudeau had with the the, the German counselor when he came to visit we would so, also
0: love natural gas that's right
1: yes that's that's correct.
0: I acknowledge yeah. that you would like natural that. gas.
1: however we are in an environment where the world is trying to decarbonize
0: I remember about a year ago after uh, when the invasion of Ukraine was just starting. And the Europeans were kind of going, whoops, we should not have been totally energy dependent on uh, the Russians. I I did a series of articles for TVO basically about like Ontario's energy supply. And Ontario is relatively uh, blessed. A lot of hydroelectric assets
1: nuclear, a lot, of,
0: and a lot of nuclear. So we're not particularly vulnerable to, uh, to fossil fuels. Like we are to some extent because we have natural gas for electricity generation sure. and home eating. So it's not like we're not totally off fossil fuels. But relatively speaking, we're in pr- a pretty good place. And I, I just asked some energy sector export uh, experts, like, what would it take to get Canada exporting more? The answer is not hard. Build pipelines that go to export terminals, that you also have to build. So build the terminals, build the pipelines to them. Ships come, put the gas on, boom, off they go. What's the likelihood of building them? Eh. Are
1: you talking about the natural gas?
0: Yeah, LNG. Yeah, yeah. So so
1: LNG is a little bit tricky because you have to liquefy it. So like there is a there's a slight the terminal. The yeah there's control. a slight yeah. yeah but there is a slight technical it's not quite as easy as crude oils but like yes essentially so yeah no so this this whole got me um it got me thinking and i actually have pitched a piece to the times so we'll see if they take it and if they don't i might write it for the line or for the globe we'll see but um which times new york times yeah the big times. i haven't heard back yet so we'll see but anyway um i was like we're never going to supply the world with more significantly more natural gas but we don't have it but because we don't we don't build anything here like like that is that is mind-bogglingly beyond what we have the capacity to do the idea that we could build a liquefied natural gas terminal in like what 18, 18 to 24 months in this in this country in a time of crisis is laughable it's risible there's just no planet in which we or would get the the buy-in the collective buy-in that would be required to build a pipeline and a liquefied natural gas terminal
0: even if we got it we would find ourselves unable to build it
1: yeah well okay so there's the technical could we act Do we have the the resources to the 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 manpower to build it no could we get the political buy-in across multiple provinces to, to 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 get it done on an expedited schedule no um and that's it that's game over like If you want to talk about a liquefied natural gas plant in in, in Canada, you need to be talking about a 15 to 20 year time frame. We can't build anything. The most successful pipeline that we have, the most successful pipeline expansion that we can point to in the last, I would say, 15 years is TMX. And TMX was so dysfunctional. The Kinder Morgan had to openly say we can't support the, the continuing to own this pipeline because it's so politically dysfunctional to such to such an extent that the federal government had to buy it yeah. in hopes of eventually selling it off preferably to some kind of um first nations consortium which they still haven't managed to do uh, that's you... and that's and that's our success story it gets worse from there like,
0: i i'm remembering I, um Uh, Kevin Milligan a few months ago wrote a really good piece for us where he basically said that we were being too negative because there were a bunch of projects underway in British Columbia.
1: In British Columbia. In British Columbia. Yeah. And none of them have been built yet. Well, also,
0: but I mean, also, but like, I don't have. I don't doubt the ability of any individual province within its own jurisdiction to go. Sure. We need this. We're going to build this. But as right. soon as you're getting multiple levels, soon of as soon as you get multiple that's levels of where it government, down.
1: but even in British Columbia, you get the site C situation. That was an absolute clusterfuck with lots of lots of people, including First Nations people, opposing it. BC is also especially complicated because you have a whole bunch of unceded treaty land that hasn't been dealt with. So anybody that can claim that they have ancestral rights to this land can gain standing on any kind of major infrastructure project. I mean, like, like Kitimat, I think, is the one big LNG terminal that, that is still on the books. It's, I mean, I need to check on what the timelines are on that for that. But look, we're not talking 18 to 24 months. This is getting bell here. And then you add on that the federal no, um, no, ta- um, no tankers and pipe, no tankers bans. So anything that's politically sensitive can't um, be shipped by a tanker off of a huge chunk of the, of the BC coast. And that's just energy. You know, let's talk about infrastructure, you know, I think somebody in one of our comments said something to the effect of when I when I made this point in the previous comment about how we don't build anything before they were like, well, you know, we we built the Confederation Bridge. And that might not have been a big thing to you, but for for people in PEI, I mean, that was a big deal. It was one of the it was one of the crucial promises of PEI entering Confederation in the first place. And I'm like, yes, you're completely right. The Confederation Bridge was a true engineering marvel that opened in 1997. I was in elementary school. That was the last one.
0: Well the the other
1: the other uh, snarky
0: response could be we promised them a confederation and we needed until 97 1997
1: to actually build the thing.
0: All right. We, so we, we like, delivered on that promise. We, we delivered on the promise hundred years, years later. later.
1: And I mean and I mean you, you you just look at this and like it's it's at every level. It's military procurement. How many years did it take us to get F thirty fives at that whole debacle? And then pistols. I mean, we've we've read about this before. Like Pistols are not a complicated technology and it took us like 20 years to get our shit together. A country that cannot for- for- acquire pistols for its increasingly weakened military is not expediting a natural gas plant because the world's in crisis. It's just not going to happen. We're just not that functional as a country. We, we can't do it. We're, we're too politically dysfunctional.
0: I'm not going to rant about guns again, but there was an interesting – during uh, all all the, the gun uh, columns, it was – I think it was Brian Lilly uh, who wrote a column uh, for The Sun where he basically noted that the liberals have been talking about the rifle buyback for years, but we still don't actually have a plan or a budget or a vendor or a service provider or logistics plan. So – some you of only, this
1: st- you, but the, the major logistical thing that we've gotten done in the last seven years under Trudeau's era has been a legalization of cannabis and that only got done as efficiently as it was because it was offloaded onto the provinces
0: uh-huh. yeah no I, I mean the um
1: <laughs> and some of the provinces totally warped it and some of the provinces did really well like I don't know what that like we're not we're not functional as a confederation anymore and i don't think have been for a really long time so the idea that we could do a big national project in order to deal to deal with an international crisis on a short time frame particularly as it pertains to energy or natural gas it's like it's a fantasy i just i just giggle when i think about this it's not possible on this front country to do that so anyway this is this is what got me ranting and then of course the second thing that happened this week that was sort of a, a follow on the just transition stuff I wrote about for the 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 lines on Monday was that you had Trudeau basically trashing Alberta and saying like you have this recalcitrant uh, uh, tr- tr- Alberta posse that doesn't believe in climate change blah 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 blah. So many people in Alberta are pissed off about that because bluntly, we we do have a climate change policy. You know we 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 are doing carbon capture. We are doing all kinds of interesting technological stuff in order to bring down. Uh, emissions uh, issues you know like like you can debate that like whether or not it's effective or not or whether or not it's the right policy approach but alberta doesn't have no climate change policy it's just it's not true right so you know trudeau in this reuters interview just throwing firebombs at alberta i mean i understand why he's doing it he's doing it for purely political reasons but it's just it's just it's a lie it's just not true so i don't know i'm just going to sum all that up into one kind of blurb. i think
0: I was reading from, um, from a few months ago. Uh, I think I sent it to you at the time. Paul Wells uh, had a great essay where he talked about the transformation uh, that the liberals had gone through. Um, he pegged it around 2018. It's it's a vague date. Where they went from a government that wanted to get stuff done to a government that wanted to be seen opposing dark forces.
1: Yeah, I think that's right.
0: Yeah. And... And I I think there are dark forces. It's kind of like we were talking about when we were talking about misinformation in in the Monday Dispatch. We don't deny the problem. We just think that given the choice to, like, do deliberate smart things to address the problem or cash in on the Instagram clout for saying things about the problem, they might go that route. And... Mm -hmm. It, I was just reading the, uh, again, this Paul Wells essay, um, which I'll, I guess we can link to, where once you decide your purpose is being on the right side of history, nothing else matters. And I think something one of the right. things we've talked about um, in some of our dispatches is that when some of our liberal friends, uh, especially over the course of the pandemic, got out and went to do other things, moved home, had kids, like whatever – they had they had this weird sort of gradual return to reality, which is like, whoa, what the f- what the fuck were we doing for like the last few years? And if you want to oppose dark forces, I'm I'm all in favor of that, right? Because all the you know the old saying, all that is needed for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. So I'm all I'm all in on opposing dark forces. But let's actually oppose them. Let's not just say these forces are dark.
1: I, I don't, I don't like, know, man. I, I like this is also the problem I discerning evil from good in the moment is not always that easy oh it's always complicated it's not no yeah. sometimes it's not hard sometimes yes. it's not hard but sometimes it's 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 it okay is supplying the world natural gas in order to allow them allow uh european countries to get off uh, its dependency on on natural gas is that good or evil it's good or is it evil no, I mean, you're, well you're, i mean i would go with good yeah, but I'm, I'm saying like, you could make a plausible argument for either. And that's most of the problems we face as humans, right? Like, like, they're morally complicated questions that's whose moral weighting requires you to decide what kinds of things you value and and how you're going to choose to value them. So like, and there's not yes, no answers on all of this. So uh, this is also the problem I have with like, we're, we're the goodies and we're the baddest. And I have a whole essay in my head that's been fermenting for years about the problem with with trying to be on the quote, right side of history it's not your duty to be on the right side of history it's your duty to live your life the best you can using the limited information that you have you yeah. are not psychic you don't have the ability to go forward in history and look back on the decisions you're making right now if you did there would never be anything called human progress because everything would be really obvious right but the problem is we don't live in a world where most problems are black and white issues and black and white solutions a lot of a lot of problems are nuanced And if you are, if you are trying to be on the right side of history, you've, you've blinded yourself to the capacity for nuance. It's just, anyway, that's a whole other rant. I mean,
0: as human beings, I think our moral obligation is to not fuck up today.
1: I think that's a good moral obligation. But how do we not fuck up today is in and of itself going to be a debate and a half, right? but anyway
0: no i mean when we've had in recent years all the debates about statues and reconciliation and stuff i've never twisted myself into knots uh, over the issue of well what about this person who was good by the standards of the time but still had abhorrent beliefs was he good by the standards of the time yes thank you because Mm -hmm. that that was a brick in the tower of human progress and the brick is imperfect right like the guys who created the United States owned slaves. They still created the United States. Like, I, I don't, I don't get twisted up in knots about this. I, I don't require purity from my historical figures, and I don't require perfection from my present contemporaries. I just wish we were. I wish I had the feeling on any given day that we were advancing, that we were making things better.
1: Well, I got some. I got some bad news for you, Matt.
0: No, that we are not. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, it's funny too because uh early i guess it was earlier this week um or maybe it was last week i don't know i'm I'm still half on it like still when i go on holiday like i lose all sense of time so even though we've been back for a week now i don't know if things happened like a week ago or a month ago um when did we announce the f35s was that this week
1: i think it was this no because we did it we wrote about it in the last dispatch didn't we? i don't think we did no so it must have been this week
0: okay so if it was this week uh a buddy of mine was mm-hmm. saying to me yeah, he says, I know we need jets. Like he's like, I get it. Like, I, I really do. I'm not one of these guys. Like, oh, we don't need an Air Force. But he said to me, I'm not convinced we need the F 35s for the threats of today. I said, okay, but here's the problem. We're this country has a military procurement cycle from like need becoming obvious to completed program can be 30 years. Yeah. I said, I need you to tell me what our strategic situation is going to be in 2050. Yep. How about 2045? Hey, you know what? I'll go easy on you. Tell me what we're going to need in 2040. If we had a procurement system for military stuff, but I think for a lot of other stuff, that was nimble enough to work on like a two to three year timeline, we would be able to plan in the medium term. And we could probably be more efficient. We can go, hey, this is the stuff we're realistically going to need over the next five years. Yeah, and we probably
1: wouldn't have... Uh, f-35s on the medium term list maybe not maybe not but the problem is if we're gonna pistols yes pistols are important
0: (laughs) but if we're going to basically buy planes once in the next 10 years that will then be in service for 30 or 40 years you have to load up on every possible capability today you need to buy the most advanced plane you can in 2023 because you're not going to get them until 2027 and you're going to be using them until 2050
1: that's about right Yeah. so
0: if we were better at this we would be way more efficient at this but i andrew Coyne this week is uh as he often does uh teed off on this and he makes the point we don't have a military procurement system in this country we have a regional economics benefit distribution system that we call a military yeah. procurement system yeah, so we sure. shouldn't be we shouldn't be surprised to find it as dysfunctional as it is maybe that's a little blurb i can do as well so i can do more no i can do f35s i can do state of good repair and judges you want to do alberta um i honestly alberta
1: i, I want to get into the fact that we don't build things yeah even and then maybe I can do the this intro. in
0: advance. I think we're actually coming up with. This is
1: actually going to be pretty strong. I mean, the other the other topic that I have just sort of loosely on my list here would be just the the the, the shift that's slowly occurring around the conversations on immigration policy, which is really interesting because no, n- at no time in my life has it been normalized or in the discourse to really challenge increased immigration. Like the, the And frankly, nor should it be because we're not we're not. Having enough kids to be able to justify not bringing in more people. um but you know the, with the targets going up, uh, f- there seems to be for the first time really more of a okay, but wait a minute, where are we gonna house these people? where like how are we actually gonna support the you know population blah 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 blah. So anyway, that I think is potentially interesting, but maybe something to put a pin in because I don't think that issue is gonna go away
0: uh Raheem Mohammed um an uh, an occasional contributor here at the line uh has written some good pieces for us about the demographic problems Canada has and yeah. how our demographic problems are increasingly going to become political problems and yes. uh he he had said to me
1: They're already economic problems
0: Oh yeah yeah no and, and I we were like I I think it was it was a, it was a private conversation so I'm I'm not going to Don't worry, Raheem. I'm not going to totally blow your cover here. But like he basically just said, like, hey, like, thank you for publishing my article about this. And I said, oh, no, this is an issue that I think is is really important. And I said, I wrote a column about this way back years ago that like no notice at the time. And I went back and I found it. And it was in 2017 where I said, if we don't start fixing the failures in our immigration system, Canadians will turn against immigration. And I wasn't writing about housing. I was writing about, uh, was it Roxy Road or Roxham Road? Roxham Road, yeah. Yeah, and I was writing about that. I'm like, if we don't fix this, this is like the crack. This is where the water gets in. And then this multi-generation, multi-decade winning streak we've had on immigration. And I I love immigration. I am overtly pro-immigration. But if we don't take care of things, they break.
1: Well, State of good that, but, repair, right? It's yeah. the
0: same argument, but it's but also, the,
1: and this this is actually the real divide between, I think, Canadian and American conservatives. It's increasingly one of many divides between <laughs> American and Canadian conservatives. One Canadian conservatives are not as socially conservative, and like I could go into a list, but the real, real striking one for me we don't have that a Mexican immig- border. Yeah, we don't have a Mexican border. We just just and also bluntly, uh, our our economic needs are so tied to high immigration levels that it would be economic suicide for any conservative to actually play against immigration. It's just not that nativist kind of bend just cannot work in, also good in the same at immigration. way here. We're hmm? good at
0: immigration, though. Like
1: We have been. I don't know if your... we were, I, we're increasingly getting incompetent at that and everything as we are with everything yeah. else just in terms of managing processing times, right? Like, uh, yeah. But I mean, that's a whole fair. other issue.
0: I talk about this with a buddy of mine um, who is uh, he's, he's a generation older than us and and he's, he's a black man. And he grew up in same part of the city I grew up in, and he played hockey in the same leagues. My son plays in and the leagues are like way more diverse than they were when he was like the only black kid, like in, in, in the Mm -hmm. local hockey leagues. So what we talk about though, is that like Canada, give us your, your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, and in what, like their parents are all going to be like particle, like the, the immigrants are all going to be like particle physicists driving cabs, but their kids are going to be doctors and, you know, beer drinking hockey hose heads, right? Like we're good at that. We need one generation, but we're good at that. But if we start to break that consensus, I don't know. And if we start, it's going to be an interesting, I don't know what the tug of war is going to be. Cause I can see on the one hand, people being like, you know, immigrant go home I can't afford a house in my neighborhood, but I can also see immigrant come here. I don't have someone to lift my mom in and out of the bathtub after her hip replacement. Well, and that's, I don't know is, which way it's going to go. Th-
1: the thing that's going to get really interesting I think you can talk to him about Canada's demographic collapse. The demographic collapse that's coming is going to be global. And it is going to be increasingly hard for Canada to compete for people, particularly young people, as our population ages out. So that has real far-reaching, weird economic implications. I mean, you have a lot of people saying, like, look, you're, the, the the targets that the federal government is setting for immigration are so high; it's doubtful we're even going to be able to meet them. No. How many people want to come here, and how many how many of those people are actually new immigrants versus you know people on um a permanent residency cards who just get you know their their their, their immigration technical status flipped, which means you still kind of have the the this weird situation where you have a really hot housing market with no real ability to support a growing mass of, of, of an immigrant population while at the same time um, really low unemployment because we can't actually – we don't have enough bodies. We don't have young bodies to sort of do the work that we that, that's going to increase and we need doing.
0: There's a real, there's a real wild card here, though, um, mm-hmm. as goes America because – for, we had a real boost in recent years because a lot of immigrants looked at like trump america i went
1: yeah
0: not mm-hmm. for us like for we look better by comparison if the u.s is more normal going forward like less crazy and like i don't what is DeSantis's view on immigration like isn't I don't, he
1: the I, guy who shipped the illegal immigrants to
0: like new york yeah, he should be well in a bunch of other places. Martha's yeah. vineyard too, I think. Yeah. But like, where does he stand? Or was that Abbott in Texas? I'm not sure which one it was. Uh, but I think it was
1: both of them. Anyway, we've double. I'd but... just be curious to see
0: if the American right can settle into an, an immigration position that is tough on the border, but good on immigration i also
1: don't think well, the americans it, it have the
0: demographic like, crunch we do though they'll get no there, they don't they don't they,
1: No. They're they don't know that they're, they're, they're at replacement level in terms of the internal birth rate they're actually one of the very they, few are they dropping though like there were 10 they years are dropping ago. but they're still above two so um they're actually one of the few western democracies that are at, it's like it's like america and france and that's it that are at, at population level so that's really interesting um which means that their need for immigrants is significantly less. And if, mm. if the world gets weirder and more insular and more collapsy, um, or economically more collapsy, then then their their anti-immigrant rhetoric just spikes, right? So I mean, it's it's a weird. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen on that file, but it's an interesting one. But anyway, I don't think we need to get into that in this dispatch because I think we've got lots of stuff to work with here.
0: You want to know? Okay, we can wrap it up because I got I, I actually got to go do. You got to go, yeah. But do you want to hear one quick interesting anecdote? Of course. So. It has been cloudy, heavily overcast in Toronto for more than three weeks now, consistently. Okay, okay. It is depressing. Like, this city has been dark, no sunlight. I'm not normally affected by this. Mm -hmm. I like winter. Get a roaring Mm -hmm. fire going, have a nice bowl of chili, like we're Canadians. But it's been pretty grim. Like, there has not been a break in the clouds in 22 days as of Friday. That's a lot.
1: That's a lot. I'm
0: sorry. Yesterday, I was feeling... Glum, like not. not, I wasn't in crisis, but I was like, like I missed the sun. Like this is depressing. I didn't want to. I didn't want to open the blinds because I knew it would be depressing out. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I look over on the shelf where my son's Oculus VR headset was sitting. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I put it on, and I searched on YouTube virtual reality sunny nature, and I sat there for like ten minutes in a three fully immersive three hundred sixty degree VR scene of a meadow in sunshine and it worked
1: that's that's awesome but also really scary it
0: i i keep telling people who have not experimented with virtual reality you will be shocked how good it is at tricking your brain and this is first generation technology i mean i know it's not literally we're probably i mean real nerds for this stuff would probably tell you we're on like vr seventh generation but we're at like the nintendo entertainment system Mm -hmm. level of vr 30 years from now, this stuff is going to be indistinguishable from reality. I stood in a simulated, like, sun-drenched meadow for 10 minutes, took off the headset. I was like, that was good. I I feel better. Like, I feel like I actually got some sunshine there. I didn't, of course. I was sitting in my living room. I still don't think VR technology is quite ready for prime time. I do think society isn't grappling yet with how transformative this could be, and maybe in dystopian ways
1: so i also have an anecdote for you um it's nine degrees and sunny and beautiful Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in calgary right now and we had that really brutal cold snap right over christmas yeah and since then for the last two weeks it's been like beautiful highs above freezing above zero every day and we'll be like this foreseeably as long as the forecast goes so if this is our new winter sort of above freezing sunny i'm okay with it i'm good with it Toronto has been above really nice Toronto has been
0: mostly above uh freezing for weeks but it's been rainy and like leak
1: it's it's been like Vancouver yeah yeah no it's like like, we've got we've got the best of the Calgary sun but without the terrible temperature oh it's been been really glorious like (laughs) it's been the most beautiful January
0: if it's still looking that way, I well, actually, you know, I should, I mean, the weather forecast says we're actually going to get some real sunshine. So I'm going to go stand in a parking lot tomorrow. Just like with my arms out being like, "Ah, oh, sunlight, but it's been pretty depressing. So I'm looking forward to a break in the weather.
1: I'm I'm going to go for a really nice walk in the park.
0: Well, you do that. All right. So I'll get this out as usual. Friday <laughs> evening ish. And then we'll Friday do a wind evening. dispatch for the weekend.
1: Okay. Sounds great.
0: Anything? Anything else?
1: No. So I'm doing Trudeau in Alberta. I'm doing Japan. And how we don't build things and then i'll do the intro
0: yeah and then i can do uh more i can do uh a state of good repair and that other thing that i don't remember anymore so i'll just listen to this and be reminded
1: okay um i'll if i'll do the intro i'll i'll handle it last then so
0: okay perfect well thanks everybody that was very efficient for us have a good day well like i said a shorter episode than normal but we hope you enjoyed it all the same for Jen Gerson, it's Matt Gurney. This has been the latest episode of the Lines Experimental Podcast.